Welcome. Um, welcome to Grace Downtown. Uh, just as I'm talking into uh, videos, and as you guys are seeing me on my screen, I'm just imagining all of your faces um, and just missing you all. I know this is different, but um, just enjoying that, I can just say welcome. Welcome um, on Sunday evening and uh, just a time that we can gather together, even if we're super far apart. Um, so, just wanted to say missing everyone's faces, but seriously praying for each one of you um, during this time. Um, I just have a couple quick announcements and then um, scripture. So we are going to, after this service, we're going to have a virtual lobby. Um, and we would love for you to come on and join us. We are hoping um, to have people who are going to transition away from Iowa City um, to jump on so we can say goodbye. As we all know, it's May, finals are going on right now, um, and so we just always try and take a time to send off people well, and so that is part of the virtual lobby um, for this week. So um, we're looking forward to that on so many aspects. And updates, um, you'll, about how we're doing service, what we're doing with community groups, all of those questions, um, we are still updating on the website, on the app, and we'll make more of an announcement on what things will look like um, pre ahead uh, in the future on May 24th. So just be keeping your eyes out. Um, those things I think everyone knows at this point. But um, if you have any questions, feel free to just email downtown at graceb3.org um, or reach out to people. So that is all the announcements I have for you guys today. So we will just read God's word. Um, so, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Um, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. It's good to be with all of you. We are so glad that you are tuning in tonight. Um, as Victoria said, it'd be great to be in person, but it's great that we can connect through technology here. Uh, we pray that tonight is a blessing to you, that you're connected to the information that you need about what's going on here at Grace, uh, but also that you would learn and be encouraged from God's Word as we finish up our series in 1 Thessalonians here tonight. There's many uh, disappointing things. Um, about what's going on right now. There's very hard things. I don't want to minimize that, but there's some things that are just disappointing, like sports being canceled and coffee shops being closed and just creature comforts and things we love um, being canceled. And they're starting to cancel things for the summer, and it's a big bummer, um, the things that are getting canceled. One of the things that has been canceled that is personally disappointing to me and my family is the Olympics getting delayed until next summer. I love the Olympics. I grew up in a family where we were homeschooled for most of our lives, and when the Olympics were on, we would quick get our homework done and for two weeks, basically 24-7, watch the Olympics. The Olympics are funny. Um, you tune into the Olympics, and all of a sudden, there's these sports that you didn't even know existed, and now you're passionate about them. And so it's midnight, and Belgium and Hungary are wrestling against each other, or fencing or something, and all of a sudden, you're yelling at the TV about something you knew nothing about before the Olympics started. 
The Olympics are so much fun, but they're delayed until next summer. When you watch the Olympics, they have these short documentaries on these athletes and how hard they have worked to become an Olympic athlete. Olympic athletes don't just wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to compete in the Olympics this year. No, this is a goal that these folks have from a very early age and it's something they work really hard at. They work out three, four times a day uh, working out to strengthen their bodies, but also to perfect their skills that they compete in. It's something they work very hard to do. It can be hard for me to get three or four workouts in a week, let alone three or four a day. There's a reason that those folks are working so hard. It's because they have something set out before them that is motivating their behavior today. And these Olympic athletes that they've been put on delay and they can't compete until next summer, they're not just going to sit on the couch for the next year. They're going to be working hard to get better and stronger for next year's Olympics. Because something is compelling their choices, their behavior, how they use their time today. And that's our big idea actually for today. What you believe about the future impacts your reality today. What you believe, what you think about the future determines how you live your life today. Maybe you're familiar with this kind of drive. Maybe you have it now. Maybe you've had it before and it's gone now. Or maybe you haven't had it at all. There's been times in my life where I've had a drive like that where I'm very passionate about something and I put a lot of time and energy into it. But we often lack that drive, that direction, that purpose that drives our behavior day in and day out. In today's text, as we conclude our series in 1 Thessalonians, we will see Paul thanking God for the future reality that the church in Thessalonica and actually all of God's people, the church throughout the ages, can bank on. A future reality that they can be sure of. We see Paul praying that that future reality and the the sure nature of it impacts their daily life today. And ultimately, we are going to see what makes a church a good news people. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Thank you that in these uncertain times, you have not left us uh, silent without a word from you. God, we know that you have given us your word, your spirit, your people. And God, we want to hear from you now. We want to hear what you would have to say to us. We want to hear what you have for us as we move on from 1 Thessalonians. God, we pray that we would not move on from being your good news people. Father, show us what it looks like to proclaim the good news well. Show us what it looks like to believe the good news well. God, help us believe and understand the good news for ourselves. God, would you give us minds to understand what you say to us? God, would you give us hearts to believe what you say? God, would you give us hands and feet ready to obey you in whatever you ask us to do? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture today at the end of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 tells us what the future holds for those who are in Christ. If you have been with us through our series in 1 Thessalonians, you'll know that for some, 
of us and some religious folks throughout the ages, uh, a concern is what happens to us after we die. It's actually a concern that many people have, even if they're not a religious person or a Christian. It's something we think about. What happens to you after you die? This was not the primary concern for the church in Thessalonians. But what was a concern for them is what happens in the future. They were concerned about what would happen if Jesus came back to set up his earthly throne and his earthly reign before they died and after others had died. They wanted to know what happened. Would they meet their loved ones? Would their loved ones come back with Jesus? What would happen when Jesus appeared as conquering king once and for all? That was the question that they had, and it's something that Paul addresses in every chapter in Thessalonians. And here he is telling them about what will happen in the future. In this letter, the church is most concerned with living well so that they can be ready for the return of Christ. But that's not the only good news for the future that Paul has for them. It's not just the return of Christ, but it's what Christ will do and is doing in the life of his church. So if you haven't already, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24. Victoria read it for us, but I'll read it here again, and then we'll just go through each piece. This serves as a fitting conclusion for our series. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So let's take a look at each part of this first. Paul is saying the God of peace. This is a prayer of sorts. And he is saying, I'm praying to the God of peace. It's interesting here that he calls God the God of peace. If you think back last week to Pastor Steve's sermon, he talked about how we can have peace in relationships because of the peace that God brings us. And here he goes a step further and says, God is a God of peace. In the Old Testament, when it talks about the kingdom that will come, God's kingdom, Jesus coming and setting up his earthly reign, one of the main things it talks about is peace. Peace is a major component of God's kingdom and God's people. When you look at the Old Testament, you see Zion, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, is a place marked by peace. That his people will be at peace. Their enemies will be defeated. There will be no need for walls on the city because the enemy cannot get in anymore. There is peace. God is a God of peace. And Jesus talks about this as well in John 14. He says to his disciples, I am leaving, but peace I leave with you. In verse 27, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. But let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Here Jesus is saying that you can have peace because of me. Because I am going to be with the Father, I'm sending the Spirit to live in you, you can have peace. And he says he does not bring peace like others bring peace. 
It's interesting that the majority of the time when we say there was a time of peace in history, it's because that peace came at the tip of a sword. In fact, in this time when Jesus was speaking in the Roman Empire, there was something called Pax Romana, peace of Rome, the peace of Rome. And it's interesting that Rome called it that, that the Roman Empire called it that, because it did come at the tip of a sword. It meant peace for certain people, but not all people. Jesus is saying, I don't give peace like that. I give peace with my presence. I'm the Prince of Peace. That's what the Old Testament calls him, the Prince of Peace. Jesus comes and gives peace with his presence, and it's not as the world gives. And outside of him, there is no peace. There is momentary lack of conflict or momentary happy feelings, but outside of him, there is no peace. Go on to the next word here. Now, may the God of peace himself, may he himself do a work in you. Here, as is consistent throughout scripture, God is the one doing his work in his people. Anything he asks us to do, he says, I will give you my spirit. I will give you my peace. I will give you the ability to do what I am asking you to do. May the God of peace himself. In Philippians 2, Paul says it this way, God is the one who is working in you to desire and to work out his good purpose. He's saying when we do God's good purposes, when we live as his good news people, when his kingdom comes and his will is done in our lives and in our world, it is him giving us the desire for that, and it's him giving us the strength to do those things. It is he himself doing the work. He did all the work in our salvation, and he is doing the work in our sanctification, our growth in godliness. And that's what he prays for them. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Later in, at the end of this verse, he says, may you be kept blameless. Paul is saying that May the God of peace himself sanctify you. That word sanctify means set you apart. Consecrate you to the Lord. Make you holy. Our justification is our salvation and is our spiritual birth. What Paul is talking about here is sanctification, which is our growth in godliness. Paul is pointing here towards our sanctification growth, and he's saying that that sanctification— That being set apart for holiness is as sure as our justification. He's saying that Christ will sanctify us and sanctify us himself. He will do a work in us. He doesn't save us and then say, now go about cleaning up your act. He says, I am going to save you and then I'm going to do a work in your life. I'm going to leave my spirit with you and I'm going to give peace, not as you can give yourself and not as the world can give you, but I am going to give you my presence, my spirit to come and live inside of you daily doing a work in your life. That's what that God of peace is doing himself in you each day. And he says that it will be done completely. That's the next word. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
What is undone in your life? I've got a lot of things undone in my life. Whether it's talking about spiritual things or projects around the house or things I keep meaning to do, I have a lot of things undone in my life. About 18 months ago, I was taking a class through seminary called New Testament Survey, and as I was taking that class, you had to write papers every week, and it was a lot of writing. I have never written so much in my life. It was multiple papers over and over and over again over an eight-week class. Um, I wrote 14 papers, I think, in eight weeks, and so it was constantly cranking out papers, and I had full-time church responsibilities, kids running around the house, madness, lots of things going on. And um, I sat down and I started a paper, was working on my paper, my next assignment that was due, and I got to a certain point and then needed to go to work or take care of one of the kids, and so I saved the document. Went back later to work on it, and I was searching for that document, and I found two documents that were named very similarly. I didn't know what was going on, so I opened up both documents and come to find out I had already started the paper once in a previous day and hadn't finished it and had forgotten that I had left it undone, that I wasn't done with it, that I hadn't even started it, and I had to start again. And then I have two papers, and so I merged them together to make one mega paper. You would think I got an A, but sadly I did not. But point being, I couldn't even remember that I had something undone, and I just moved on and started over again. This is often how we feel in our lives like things are undone, like there is something that we have started doing or even something that God has started doing in our life, but it feels undone. God is not like us. He does not leave us undone. He will complete the work that he started in us, and he will not forget you remember the context of this letter, 1 Thessalonians, Paul was in a situation where he felt things were undone. So he ends up writing this letter and then another letter in 2 Thessalonians. He felt like what he set out to do in the church in Thessalonica was left undone. It's because he and the other apostles were there for a few weeks and started teaching on following Jesus, and then they were run out of town. They were persecuted. Things did not go according to their plan. So he's writing the Thessalonians two letters to finish that discipleship program. But he felt like things were left undone. He wants to remind them that God will always complete what he started in us, even if Paul was not able to. Even if we are not able to, God finishes what he starts, and he has been doing that from the beginning of time. God set in place from the very beginning a plan, a rescue plan, a redemption plan for his wayward people that went their own way. Very first people, Adam and Eve, went their own way, decided to go autonomous to separate themselves from God and determine what is good and evil for themselves. And from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter in the Bible, God says, I have a plan. I have a plan to rescue you. I have a plan to rescue mankind from this thing called sin and rebellion. 
And he tells them, Eve, your offspring will crush the head of the serpent who is against God and his people. And that offspring is ultimately Jesus. This plan from the beginning of God to rescue his people, to make them his justified and sanctified people, his set-apart people for his purposes, was put into play in Genesis 3. And that process that God has started is continuing on to this day. And he will complete what he has started. He will not left his church, his people, his plan undone. So we live in a time of the already but the not yet. We have God's spirit in us. We are in his kingdom if we are in Christ, but we are not yet reunited with our Savior, and he has not yet finished what he has started by setting up his rule and his reign here on earth. But he will not leave us undone. In our sanctification, we see progress in our lives, but never completion, right? We see progress By God's grace, we overcome sin and see more victory. But if you're like me, you just keep seeing new things crop up to replace those things that you see victory over. But we are promised a day when this will cease. We are promised a day of completion. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, Christ, appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And that's perfect. We will, when we see Christ, we will then be completed. We will be perfect in him. And everyone who hopes in this day purifies himself just as Christ is pure. One day, God's work in us will be complete. And because of that, we find our motivation to live pure godly lives today. That's what John is saying in 1 John chapter 3. And that completed work will not just be in one area of our life, but all of who we are. As we continue on in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body, your whole spirit, soul, and body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. What Paul is saying here is all of who you are, the totality of who you are, will be made complete, will be made holy. Remember, our big idea for today is what you think about the future determines how you live your life today. So let's think about what we have learned here from this passage about what the future holds, God's finished work in his people because they are in Christ and his spirit is in us, and one day Christ will appear and we will be made perfect. That work that's taking place will be made complete in our lives And throughout history, God's sanctifying his church, it will be complete. So let's reflect for a moment here on how that affects our life today. Because of Christ's work, 
because of what we, he has done, because we are in Christ, we will stand before God perfected. When we remember this, we stop trying to change ourselves. We stop trying to save ourselves, atone for our own sin, sins, absolve ourselves from anything, and we trust in his work in our life. Remembering what Christ has done for us is a huge key to our sanctification. Here's how it works. As we have gone through this series in 1 Thessalonians, here's some of the topics that we have talked about. We have talked about that we are entrusted with the gospel. Paul has told us that leaders should serve one another, and the church should honor those leaders. We have looked at how the word of God is at work in the life of believers. We have seen how we can stand fast against affliction, how we can praise God even though we still need to pray for our needs. We've taken a look at a sexual ethic of being set apart in the way we view and treat sex. We have seen that we should demonstrate the gospel through brotherly love. We should be ready for the Lord's coming. We should be in biblical community. We should know God's will for our life. We should test prophecy, and we should walk in peace in our personal relationships great list. This is how we can be God's good news people. But here's the problem. When we turn it into a checklist, as soon as I do all these things, I'll be sanctified. Have you ever checked everything off the list? Yeah, me either. And if you're like me, as you start down the list and you start checking things off, by the time you get to the bottom list, some of your top check check marks have disappeared and you have to start over. That's how it feels. Undone, incomplete, always moving. You're always finding more areas where you fall short, more areas where you struggle. When we turn God's will for us into a checklist, when we turn sanctification into a checklist, we get off track. We forget about grace. Here's the truth. You will never complete God's work in you. Often I find myself trying to complete what I know God wants to do in me, myself. You will never complete God's work in you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Who is faithful? He is faithful. Who will surely do it? He will surely do it. He will do the work. He is the faithful one when we are faithless. And if his spirit is in you, how could you ever be defeated? How could his church ever be defeated by the world, the flesh, or the devil? How could you ever keep God from doing his work in your life? How could a pandemic keep God's work in your life from being completed? We cannot stand in God's way. He is faithful, and he will surely do it. So let's talk about application. How do we walk this out and remember these things? Number one, first we need to know and believe the good news. If we are to be God's good news people, we need to know and believe the good news. We need to know what the good news is from the beginning. We need to know why we should be in Christ or what it means to be in Christ. We need to know what it means to have his spirit living inside of us. Perhaps you're listening to this message today and you feel like spiritually there are things undone in your life. 
Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you have doubts. Maybe you keep waiting for the right time to give your life to Christ and be forgiven of your sins. And you feel like spiritually there's just things undone. And you're waiting for all the boxes to get checked off. Don't wait. Don't wait. Tap in to the Spirit and the power of God and the forgiveness of sins by receiving Christ and his work in your life today. Let his Spirit come in and change you and answer your questions. If you know friends and family that are in Christ, that are followers of Jesus— Or if you know my story, you know that we did not reach a point where we understood it all and we cleaned up our act and then Jesus started loving us. No, Jesus comes into our life and he changes us. The God of peace himself does a work in our lives. Let him begin that work in you today. Believe and receive the good news of what Christ has done for sinners like you and me. We decided to go our own way. We decided we had a wonderful plan for our life. Where has it led us? Hopeless, without a help in the world, no peace, no joy, no answers to the problem of sin in our life, no answers to the suffering that we have endured. Going our own way has only led to destruction. Receive Christ today, believe the good news, for you. Let him start a good work in you that one day he will carry on to completion. Number two, if you are in Christ, believe that he will sanctify you. I don't want to minimize in any way how hard this pandemic is. Over 80,000 Americans have lost their life due to COVID-19. Folks in our church are putting their life on the line to treat patients with the coronavirus. Folks have lost their jobs. Folks don't know when they're going to receive a paycheck again. It has been very, very challenging. It's hard on all of us to not have church and community group in person together. I don't want to minimize that at all. But what if amidst it all, God has a plan for you? What if amidst this pandemic, God has a plan for his church, a sanctifying plan? What if he wants to use this to strengthen our belief in him, strengthen his spirit's work in our life, bring families together, make us appreciate when we come back together as the family of God? What if he wants to show us the idols of our heart? What if he wants to show us that technology cannot give us a real sense of connection? What if he wants to show us that we need real, live, 3D people? What if he wants to show us that we need hugs from friends and family? What if he wants to show us that he is the only thing that truly matters in life? What if he wants to show us what it looks like to provide for us one day at a time? What if he has a plan for his church during this pandemic? What if... Instead of just doing a revival in one small part of the world, which seems to be throughout history what's taken place, these different pockets of time and places that see revival, what if he has a revival in mind for the whole world? It's a pandemic. What if he has revival in mind for the whole world? 
What is he doing in your life? What is he doing in your relationships? What is he doing in this church? What is he doing to make us more Christ-like during this struggle? We need to believe that he will sanctify us even through the most difficult times. Believe he will sanctify you. Number three, we need to share the good news. To be his good news people, we have to believe it, and then we have to share it. Because that's what you do when you have good news. You share it. Do you believe that you have good news in your life? Then share it, just as you would if you got any other good news. People share good news all the time. That in that moment is good news, but really to the other person, it's like, great, good for you. But what if you have such good news that the whole world needs to hear it? And you do. Sinners made right with their Savior. Hope and help and answers for our suffering. A connection with a body of believers that is outside of any connection that this world has to offer. No technology, no social network can offer us what the family of God can offer us. What if we have good news of great joy for all people? What if we have good news of a peace that Christ and the Spirit of the living God can give you that the world never could? We have that good news. We need to share it. Christians worldwide spent $6.4 billion, with a B, $6.4 billion on religious books in one year. What if we take that time and what if we take those resources and we pour them into our world? How many people could we provide for? How much time could we spend sharing the good news with our neighbor? I love books. I buy books all the time. Especially right now when I can't go to the library. Amazon Prime and that big van that backs up and it sounds like a duck. It's bringing books to my house all the time. I love books. And those books have been my primary education outside of God's Word. And I stand here today largely because of Christian books. Not saying it's bad, but what if? What if we took some of those resources and some of that time and used it to share the good news with people that desperately need it? Let's take our eyes for a moment off of ourself, off of our sin, off of what we're trying to accomplish, off of us trying to make sanctification happen in our life. And let's put our eyes on what God has called us to, being his good news people. Let's take our eyes off of our shame and our sin and our sanctification project that's undone. Let's stop waiting for the most opportune time and let's be his good news people. Lastly, number four, let's plug into the Spirit and the power of God. Plug into the Spirit and power of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep before you have perished. If Christ, we have hope for this life only, we are to be pitied. 
above all people. He's saying if Christ didn't rise from the dead, you won't rise from the dead, and this is all we've got, so make the most of it. We know that's not true, but it's often how we live our lives. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, but, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come resurrection from the dead. In Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. Christ did rise from the dead, and he has a work that he wants to do in our lives. And his resurrection was the first fruits of a plan that he has for you and me in life and death. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Let's let him do the work that he desires to do in our life, a work of sanctification that one day will be complete. Let's trust in him and his grace for our sanctification. In just a moment, I'd like to pray to close us, but you heard Victoria mention a virtual lobby. You can find a post Uh, right below where you're watching this sermon if you're watching on Facebook, or you can go over to Facebook and you can uh, click on the virtual lobby post on the Facebook page, Grace Downtown. You can also find a link in the comments here uh, below the sermon. And um, in that link, you can go to the virtual lobby and you can spend some time saying goodbye and praying for the folks that are moving away or graduating um, this May. We'd love to have you join us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this time and your word. God, thank you. In Psalm 138, the psalmist says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. God, this is our prayer tonight that you would finish the work that you have started in us and in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.